Hey listeners, Kelly Givens here. If you've been listening to Your Daily Prayer this month, you'll know we've started each episode with a note about our latest podcast, The Bible Never Said That. Well, today we wanted to drop the first episode straight into your feed. We'd love for you to listen, and if you like it, you can find a link in the show notes where you can go to listen to the rest of the podcast. We'd also love it if you took a minute to share it with a friend or to leave us a review. Okay, here it is. Thanks for listening. Hey listeners, my name is Shara Donahue, and welcome to the first episode of The Bible Never Said That. This is going to be a podcast where we talk about popular sayings that make their way through culture and churches, even though they are theologically problematic. First off, before we really get started, I want you to know what's important to me so that you understand my heart behind the theme of this podcast series. This is not me trying to rally around why the culture is so wrong, or to help you find a way to shut up that well-meaning, albeit misguided friend who shoots a cliche at you for every problem. But instead, it is for us to explore together the ways that holding on to wrong belief can distort truth and lead us down really destructive roads. I've seen far too many people believe little lies that grew into foundational beliefs and these foundational beliefs were based on falsehoods. Man, I mean, I lived years with a messed up foundation myself, and most of the stuff I built upon, it didn't stand the test of time. And when those things crumble, it just is painful. The hope we have when trying to navigate this chaotic culture full of fake news and personal truths is that Jesus is faithful and true. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus returns, and the scriptures say, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Jesus does not have a falsehood or lie within him, and as we become more like him, he doesn't mind freeing us from the falsehoods that we have within us. So each popular saying that we will cover was picked because of the ease at which those outside and inside the church let it roll off their tongues, and because the lies hidden behind all those good intentions are dangerous to the people of God. While we will touch together on areas of apologetics, and I will boldly disagree with some of the premises in each saying, this podcast is intended to bring unity not division, and it is designed to lead people towards peace, not discord. So now that we've got that covered, let's get to it. For our first episode, we're hitting a saying I've heard many times in 15 plus years of ministry, and the truth is, I even believed it myself at one point. Have you ever heard someone say, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself? As we search for where this idea stems from, we are led to some pretty broken places. The saying starts off correctly. If we just said, I know God forgives me, end of sentence, full stop, there would be no problem. The truth of God would be proclaimed in those words. And yet, that word but slips in there and all goes downhill. 
Jesus alone is the answer to the problem of sin and the need for forgiveness. And yet we're over here like, yeah, but, but I'm not as bad as that person. I've done some good things, but you don't know what I've done. But, 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 but nothing. You need Jesus, period. We need to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord because it's in his sight and through his sight and through his sacrifice that we are made righteous. And this statement places our own role too high and it is clearly not something the Bible teaches. When we dig through the dirt of emotions and suppressed feelings, we find that the problematic root of this saying is pride. But it is a pride that's partnered with shame so it doesn't always register to us as a pride problem. We try to define it as something else, but we hardly ever hit the mark of what it truly is. But when we think about this statement more critically, it is clear that the spotlight lands on us, that we sing the song of lies we all know so well. It's all about me. Once we see this, it becomes painfully obvious how self-focused it really is. Because when we say, I can't forgive myself, We are basically saying that we are in charge of our own forgiveness. This is dangerous because it teeters way too closely to a different gospel. The true gospel proclaims that through Christ alone, we can be saved and forgiven from the debt our sins have racked up against our souls. When we utter these words, this statement, we are saying we know God forgives us, while in the same breath we are saying we know better than God. We must keep in mind that the Bible is not silent on this matter of humanity, thinking it knows better than its creator. Isaiah 55, 8-9 tells us, Clearly, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pretty clear, God's forgiveness is higher than our own. So why do we try to carry a weight we cannot bear? What is it that we like about this statement? First of all, let's be honest. Society in general thinks it knows better than God. But the big issue in this scenario is the power of shame. Shame is a tricky beast. We can respond to conviction and acknowledge that we did something wrong and try to make amends. But when we let the enemy twist conviction so that it becomes condemnation, we begin to question the righteousness that is a piece of our identity as a follower of Christ. He has declared us righteous. That will not change. What we've done has been covered. Christ given by God so that we could be restored no matter what our sin. His forgiveness meets us and saves us from that crushing weight. A weight that tried and failed to send us to hell. But when we let condemnation cuddle up next to our identity, we are forgetting the truth found in John 3, 16 through 18. Now we think we know this one. We see it at football games. We see it on poster boards, but we don't always live in the full truth of its full context. So for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world 
to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. When we go to God acknowledging our sin and seek forgiveness through Christ's perfect sacrifice, that paid the price we could not. We are saved and nothing's going to change that. We are no longer condemned. And this is great, great news because guess what? We totally still mess up. So God and his great mercy will convict us to steer us back to his flawless ways. But when we let conviction morph into condemnation, it quickly grows into a shame that we hold deep within us. And we become tempted to believe the lie that the something wrong is not something we did, but something we are. Now we must be empathetic here. Most people who say they cannot forgive themselves are in a state of brokenness. They are holding on to something so deeply shameful that they believe they need to punish themselves with self-hatred. People who believe this often reach the idea as some sort of revelation. They are hurting and they cannot find the right words to explain what's going on internally. And as they search, they find the source of the pain and identify it incorrectly. They say, "Ah, I finally know what's wrong. I just haven't forgiven myself. And what they really mean is, I have an incomplete understanding of how far the grace of God can reach. I need to more fully accept the forgiveness he's offered to me freely. And this is why it's important that we correct this statement. So we wouldn't be so foolish or we wouldn't even dare to respond to somebody who said this with something like, you don't even understand the gospel. But instead, with compassion, we would see the desperate need of that person to know the depth of God's love for them, to know God more. Now, it takes bravery and vulnerability to verbalize these destructive feelings. And even if they're theologically incorrect, we can see that vulnerability in itself as the first step towards freedom, because the heart of the problem has revealed itself. It's no longer living in the dark, but it's stepped into the light. In Kurt Thompson's book, The Soul of Shame, he says, Shame's healing encompasses the counterintuitive act of turning toward what we are most terrified of. We fear the shame that we will feel when we speak of that very shame. In some circumstances, we anticipate this vulnerable exposure to be so great that it will be almost life-threatening but it is in the movement toward another, toward connection with someone who is safe, that we come to know life and freedom from this prison. Now listen, I know it's not easy to face our shame, but unfortunately we have to take that momentary pain of owning our stuff, owning what we've done to avoid the lifetime of torture that hiding from forgiveness could bring us. But another one of my little darlings is, has always been, but hopefully will not always be, a hider. I cannot tell you how many times I have had to search for this child. To the point where it starts to get scary and I start questioning if they've knocked themselves out somewhere or if they've been taken. 
Thankfully, that has never been the case. But what has been the case is that they were playing with something in my room and they broke it. They put a hole in something somewhere in the house just to find out what was inside it. Or they spilt milk all over the kitchen and bolted. But all I find is a broken light bulb, a torn up piece of fabric, or a puddle. There is no person to be found. The perpetrator is nowhere. I asked the other three if they know what happened, and they are not shy to name names. And then the search begins. Room to room, I look behind doors, in closets, under beds, until I finally find guilty eyes peering back at me. I have searched for this child, and I know them. I have seen their sin clearly, but desire that they be restored. I had not cast my child away, but they chose to flee from me. And even as they hide, my love has not changed, and the forgiveness is already there. How much more so with our great God? And yet, in little or big ways, we attempt to hide from him or not let him near the darkness we have decided we have to live in. Shame will lead us to the depths. And we grab our memory foam pillow and a weighted blanket and we pretend its chill won't touch us. Only to cry out like another psalmist, Asaph, who writes in Psalm 77, 5, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. We have to decide what we will meditate on. What will be the song that plays in our soul when the world is quiet and our thoughts are loud? Will we rest because we are forgiven or punish ourselves for something God has already forgiven? Too often we try to make ourselves clean by whatever means necessary, only to find perpetual frustration because we just can't do it. We are unable to cleanse ourselves. The best route forward from this point to just give up on trying to cleanse ourselves. To realize we cannot do it on our own and acknowledge that we need the help of a mighty Savior who sacrificed all so that we may live. I have experienced trauma in my life in the form of sexual assault and physical abuse. And I know that I was haunted not as much by the traumatic experiences, though they were hard, and they hurt, and there was healing that had to happen. But more so, I was plagued by the shame I carried for how I reacted to the trauma. The memories of how I responded were the ones that would meet me in the quiet and tempt me to forget the truths of God. I walked around with the falsehood of the statement of knowing I was forgiven but not forgiving myself. It was alive within me for far too long. I wrongly believed that if I just felt bad enough, for long enough, maybe I could somehow make up for the ways not only had I hurt others, but how I had broken the heart of God. I felt like Hester Prynne, sure that others could see the scarlet letter I felt branded into my being. But Christ, our sweet Jesus, he called me his. He called me new. And he had more for me than walking around thinking I was other than what he called me. God is a father who defends his children. And he is a king 
who has the final say in bringing forth judgment. And he gently reminded me that the glory of the full and complete cleansing he had done in me didn't need my guilt dulling its shine. The price had been paid, and I could live like it. In the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Eugene Peterson said, All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. God is sure that we are cleansed by grace through faith because of Christ Jesus. So we need to stop lugging around self-imposed punishment and stop stealing from how glorious forgiveness really is. So where do we go from here? We go to confession. We go to rest. We go to gratitude. Once we are willing to ask ourselves if we are really going to be so bold as to tell God, Hey God, your sacrifice wasn't good enough. I need to forgive myself. Your forgiveness wasn't wide enough. I have to forgive myself. When we realize in actuality that this is something we are saying to God with our actions, we see that it is pride demanding that our guilt remain. And we need to confess this and then humbly accept and rest in God's forgiveness. Because the scriptures teach that If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We learn that in 1 John 1.9. But it is hard to find this rest that we are supposed to have if we have not confessed. Let's take a minute to look at David again. Let's look at the beginning of Psalm 51, which David writes after being confronted by Nathan about committing adultery with Bathsheba, and then, you know, having her husband killed. I'll link to an article for further information about this in the notes. But for now, let's just look at the first two verses. They say, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. As David approaches God with pleas for mercy, he also calls out the characteristics of the God he knows he can trust. How much easier is it to approach God when we know Him for who He truly is? We can acknowledge the greatness of His wisdom, of His love, His compassion, as we approach the throne of grace. We can repent because God is patient and He is willing to cleanse our sin, we get to rejoice because we know that God has extended mercy to all of us who have fallen and fail. We as humans spend too much time digging our own pits and latching our chains. But He is the one who lifts us up. He is the one who sets us free. Our hearts were once poisoned by sin, but when we come to Christ, we are healed we should no longer run from that truth. May our hearts be ever thankful to Jesus who paid the price we could not pay. We cannot, should not, and don't have to live with a weight of unforgiveness that we have prescribed to our own selves. It is an amazing love, an amazing grace that has been given to us. But it came at a price. 
When we are saved by Christ, we are unburdened from the weight of our sin. This should make our praises reach the ears of God. For without the giving of His Son, that sacrifice, there would be no forgiveness. There would be no strength to turn from sin. No great love that shatters chains and binds up the broken hearts. This is an extravagant love we are all invited into. It is a scandalous grace by a God who knows all the scandal of our hearts and loves us still. We are known by a God who wants us to know Him as well. A.W. Tozer says in The Knowledge of the Holy, How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No tale-bearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us, since He knew us utterly before we knew Him and called us to Himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Did you hear that? He called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. He called us to himself even though he knew all that we have done, are doing, and will do. He called us his own, knowing our darkest stains, and he made us clean. We do not need to forgive ourselves. His forgiveness is enough. When we know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, we are simply forgiven. End of sentence. Full stop. Forgiven. Thank you for joining me today so that we can look at the truth of God and bring it against the lies that try to hide inside our souls. It's important to me that we get to pray together every week. So please join me in asking God to move. Jesus, we are so grateful for your love and your sacrifice. Help us to resist the temptation to believe the lies of shame over the truth that you have cleansed us from. Every piece of it, Lord, we want more of you. We want more truth. You are so good to us, and we know that you are mightier than our emotions, and your word remains true even when our feelings rail against it. Remind us daily that your ways and thoughts are higher than our own, and help us to find shelter and rest in the power of your forgiveness. Let us cease striving and look to you, and it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. And we'd love it if you would head over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast so that more people could find us. And you can find this episode's show notes on crosswalk.com slash podcast or on iTunes. Till next time, may you seek the abundant life that Jesus died to give and live in the truth that sets people free.
Are you concerned about tensions in the Middle East? Do you wonder where we're currently at in the biblical timeline? Are we really in the last days? Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Carl Muller with the Inside the Epicenter podcast. Every week, my co-host, best-selling author Joel Rosenberg, and I answer those questions and more. You'll hear inside knowledge of our meetings with leaders at the highest levels of government in the U.S., Israel, and the Middle East, equipping you to filter the news with biblically sound insights. Find Inside the Epicenter on your favorite podcast app or go to joshuafun.com to listen and subscribe.